Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. Well, today's an edition of Headlines and Baselines. Some of the headlines you see, mostly, not all, in New Haven Independent. And then, uh, so the story behind that, interspersed with music by local and local adjacent recording artists. Those are the baselines, folks. But now there's a base in the story. Well, obviously, the big story in the world does spill over often to how we're thinking about life in New, in New Haven. And that's the um, war going on now with Israel and Hamas in the Middle East. Boy, is it wretched. You know, you don't look for us in the local scene to figure out policy by foreign nations or the history that is so deep on both sides. It's just agony right now. Our hearts go out. What more can we say to all the innocent people? And innocence a big word. It's civilians who are just going about their life and they're murdered and destroyed and bombed in Israel and Gaza Strip. And it's just unspeakably horrible for those of us going about our lives in a community where you don't know war and our lives aren't affected that way. And also, and you know, we saw that in New Haven, there was a clash in front of City Hall where protesters on either side went after each other and politicians got recriminations for daring to speak to people at both protests. And, you know, I sat back and thought about that and I said, when we're so upset about events we don't control in the world, and horrors especially when it touches us deeply when you go to that demonstration there are people in new haven who have family and close friends who are either murdered or missing or kidnapped or having their cities bombed right now in the second phase of this and and it's it's so upsetting when you can't control situations like that it's horrible it touches a nervous human being that i think sometimes people here at town try to lash out at each other in a way that isn't so productive, whether you're getting mad at a politician for having an opinion you don't agree with, or people for demonstrating on a side of a police barrier has happened and you think the other side is right. And I know it's easy to say when it's, you're not in the war, when you're not the one being killed, and obviously those people's understandable. They have people close to them who are being killed. But of course, we do hope that we can continue to see the humanity in each other. And do hope that when the smoke clears, there can be peace. The way that after the Yom Kippur War and 73 years later, Israel and Egypt did make peace. Let's hope there can be peace in the Middle East in our day. And when I said about innocence, I think that word is interesting. There's no question a civilian, a family in the Gaza Strip or the kibbutz in Israel going about their life. They're not there fighting in the war. Obviously, we feel different. We use that word differently from soldier or militant or someone who's taking up arms as part of their job, I would argue that we feel so badly as well for the people who are taking up the arms as well, the soldiers. Think about it. there are many of them in our families or people we know who are in armies or groups fighting for they, what they believe is their national interest and against people they identify as their enemy. And it's just as much a loss of life when they are killed too. And there's a third level to that, the soldiers who don't get killed. And that's the next song I was going to play from Slade Cleave. I say local Jason because sometimes they're people who aren't from New Haven, but we get to hear them in New Haven. And when this song came out a few years ago by Slade Cleave, a, a traveling folk singer, singer-songwriter, he was talking about veterans of the Iraq War years after it was over and how the traumatized soldiers who are enlisted to 
do the dirty work and the inhumane acts sometimes or what they witness they're never the same their lives are never the same many don't recover some do especially with modern warfare when they aren't even quite sure of the mission and when deep down you do see the humanity of the people on the other side as hard as you try not to so my heart goes out to everybody touched directly or indirectly by the horrible events in the Middle East right now and more broadly for the people who are going to make it through and need to continue with life so to that end this is Slade Cleese performing while fighting that war hard times coming home now can't get your feet on the ground got some issues and no one wants you around barely sleeping and you can't get through to VA on the phone no one's hiring and no one wants to give you a go and everyone else is carrying on just like they've always done before you've been home for a couple of years now buddy but you're still fighting the war Flashback to Fallujah Lost another best friend Three tours of duty and you're wondering when it's all gonna end Bodies broken and bone shattered Blood and dust in your mouth Getting weary but you're running with the few in the crowd Sometimes you wonder why you went You never wonder what you stayed on for You've been home for a couple of years now, buddy, but you're still fighting the war. Men go off to war for a hundred reasons. Are they all come home with the same demons? Some you can keep at bay for a while. Some will pin you to the floor. You've been home for a couple of years now, buddy, but you're still fighting the war. The bedspread is fraying, faded and tearing apart. Two strangers holding each other in the dark. Tell me, what were you dreaming? How did you think it would end? and slamming doors You've been home for a couple of years now, buddy But you're still fighting the war Oh, Slade Cleves, still fighting. People go off to war for a million reasons. They all come back with different demons. Their hearts going out here on Dateline New Haven to everybody touched by the horrible events in the Middle East. And it's the hardest of these moments to remember 
we're one human race we're one people we do need to love and care for each other in the end hoping we can get there dateline new haven headlines and baselines sorry about the screw up there with the uh cd player another headline these days is at the days in hotel and by the way that's uh grits king in the background new haven musician with his saving time there's a new approach to homelessness that emerged in many cities including new haven out of the pandemic because in the pandemic people weren't booking hotel rooms motel rooms governments like new haven were putting homeless people up in those hotel rooms having social services on site these are people who aren't ready or there aren't room for them at either traditional shelters or what we call supportive housing where you have longer range rental and on site you have all this help for drug services or employment counseling or health care and um it worked like a lot of things that worked i would argue that we had temporary socialism during the pandemic that except for inflation which did get affected and we'd have to think about that aspect of it we did a lot of things in society that really worked that keep people fed and, and um housed and employed in any case we're continuing with that idea we're trying to make it work homelessness has increased a lot of reasons in cities like new haven we've had 10 cities some people don't want to go to shelters. Sometimes not room with the supportive housing. So Days in 56-room home hotel, right off exit 8 in New Haven, North New Haven, near the old city, 1234. They bought it. And they're going to use that as rooms for the homeless. A lot of pros and cons that have been debated in New Haven. I'll admit, I think I'm glad they're doing it. I also admit neighbors have concerns. you got to make it work. Follow up social services. There's another aspect of it that didn't get much attention, though. The Independence, I think it was Tom Breen, wrote about it, or Laura Glesbee, and, uh, or Norgris Fletcher, I guess who wrote that article, that had a, a really interesting point in passing. So we paid $6.9 million to buy the hotel. That's how much we paid the private person who owned the hotel. We said, okay, we're going to pay $6.9 million because that's what it's worth. But before that, when we taxed, the hotel we only tax them as though it were worth 2.3 million dollars when we taxed them we said eh, your place is worth 2.3 million dollars that's how much you could pay us in taxes but then when we buy it it's 6.9 million three times as much we say it's worth three times as much when we're paying the money and one third as much when a corporation owns it and they're paying us taxes now this wasn't a one-off this isn't a two-off this isn't a 10-off as Tom Breen has been now documented for years, the city of New Haven basically says, I lose, you win anytime we do business with slumlords and out-of-town business investors. Commercial properties, slum properties, big development properties upscale. When it comes time to taxing them, we always say their property is worth a lot less money than it is. And the reason we know that is because when they flip their properties, they get two, three times as much money as we claimed it was worth. That's because we have a method that we use, that a lot of cities use, that's by choice about how we value it. We don't just value it based on how much that property would sell for, best guess. We do do that if you own your home in New Haven. So if you're a homeowner struggling to pay those bills, if you're a renter in a small home and your rent is based partly on how much a house is worth and how much they pay taxes, we, pay, we tax them what we think it's really worth. We say, look, two houses like that near you sold for this amount of money, that's what it's worth. That's what you'll probably get. But we don't do that. We have this other compilated formula based on we think they'll get income from a property. 
that always, over and over again, sometimes by tens of millions of dollars, we undervalue what properties are worth and we tax them. And then they're worth one, two, three times as much or more when they sell them. Why does that matter? Besides the fact that we just don't, why should we be giving the wealthiest people who are often just destroying our city, sometimes not just making a quick buck on our city, a really big financial break so they keep doing that? It matters because that gets passed along. Because of our property tax system and our high amount of nonprofit tax in New Haven, working class people who own homes pay a, a lot more compared to some other parts of the country for a lot of reasons. And it's tough for them sometimes to make those bills, and that gets passed along to renters, since two-thirds of our city are so renters. And it doesn't get fixed because of a lack of imagination and political will on the part of our government. Because they're worried they would get sued, which is a real worry, they don't bother trying to change it. I know, it's a quaint idea we think our government officials should have vision, courage, and not just accept the status quo that enriches the wealthy and the greedy and puts the burden on everybody else. Well, that's uh, Kristen Ford. She also has been touring a lot through New Haven now. He's getting a big break with Ani DeFranco. She has a new album out. And uh, she came on New Haven a, a few weeks ago to preview her new song, which was called um, Walking in a, in a White Man's Dream. And here's Kristen playing it on WNHH. Swimming upstream in a southern city, the biggest fish need the biggest pond. Ladies getting invited to the good old boys' party if it's low cut.
Dream. Her new single, co-produced by Ani DeFranco. Big break for her. We watched her all the years come through Cafe Night. I always thought she was the best of the sort of singer-songwriters emerging multi-genres. She does a great kind of looping one-woman band thing. So excited about her success. Recommend that song very much. You're listening to uh, Headlines and Baselines. Dateline New Haven. I'm Paul Bassing. Finding a look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. One of the headlines, you know, it's so funny when you talk about municipal election corruption it's got this storied history sort of like the way people like laugh about the mob like it's cute and funny and it is kind of cheeky and funny and shameless over the years and it evolves over time how the crooks and the ne'er-do-wells get slicker about how to game a system it's not that they ever stop trying what i love is that in bridgeport they haven't really entered the 21st century they're still doing the stuff we used to catch a lot in new haven that um We've kind of, people try to find new ways to do elections. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the, the mayor down there, Joe Gannam. He went to prison in the 90s. He was caught taking bribes and stuff and doing all sorts of fraud. And he did a prison sentence. He came out never really apologizing. He never got his law license back because he never thought he did anything wrong. He got reelected in, in Bridgeport and got elected again. And the last time he got reelected, the woman running against him beat him in a primary at the polls. The people still have to vote, voted for his opponent. But in Bridgeport, a lot more people vote absentee ballot than they do in other cities. And that was the old way you kind of cheated by having someone go around and they call it ballot harvesting, collect a whole bunch from people, either fill it out themselves or kind of press the person while they're there and then submit it. And that's illegal, slam dunk illegal. Only certain people can pick up your ballot like a cop as though who knows about some of the cops sometimes in public. But anyway, um, you're not supposed to have someone who works for a campaign go there once you fill it out, collect everyone to bring it back. They can't bring it back. So in uh, four years ago, the the... Kennedy running against Joe Gannam said, well, they did all that fake FC ballot. That's how he wanted it. They cheated. And, you know, we have to start being a little more concerned now, given the way both Democrats and Republicans always say, too often say the other side cheated and all this goes on without evidence. And so often it's not true and it's not evidence. And we saw that a lot. With and, and, and But it still does happen. We have to remember it does still happen sometimes, especially, you know, there was a, a, a redone Senate 
Republican primary a couple years ago when the candidate was doing a lot of that kind of fraud. And now we got, um, so in Bridgeport four years ago, the pro it was revealed that the process for responding to allegations of fraud is too slow to really matter. So it took years after Ganem was reelected amid those accusations for the state agency investigating it to come to any conclusions. It's too late. He was already in office, right? So the State Elections Enforcement Commission, SEEC, did an uh, um, investigation. They said they did a lot of stuff wrong to be recommended. Hey, $2,000 fine. When you're reelected, you make $2,000 in a minute with the kind of graft you can do or even legalized versions. And they even named a person who worked for Ghana who was in the government. They said, you were carrying these ballots in and it's against the law. You can't do it that way. Don't do it again. Don't do it again. So we just had a primary this year again. Joe Ganim's running again. Like he's some people go to prison for life. He went to prison and came back to be mayor for life. And he had another election campaign. And guess what happened again, folks? At a primary, and the other candidate got a lot more votes at the polling places. People started to vote. And legitimate sometimes to vote absentee, right? You, you you're sick, you're gonna be out of town, can't get there. But of course it's been historically abused, right? So it happened again. Ganem lost at the polls. They said, wait, they're going to count the absentees. I think it was three to four times as many people voted absentee in Bridgeport than did in Hartford, than did in New Haven, which must make you think, boy, they got a lot of sick people in those cities compared to our other cities. But I said that obviously sarcastically. And it happened again. They counted the absentees and Joe Ganem got reelected in the primary. You know, he still has general election. And that's often the primary is often the general election in Democratic cities. This time a video came out and it was leaked by the government, someone in the government that showed the same woman who was cited by the SEC four years ago for hanky-panky with the ballots. That same woman was shown bringing big containers of absentee ballots and bringing them in. And what's happening again? Well, now Judge Clark, William Clark, was from New Haven. He's overseeing the case. He's going to hear hearings. I don't know if they're really ever going to be able to reorder a new election like the opponent asked. The SEC is investigating again. They're even doing fingerprints this time. They're getting fingerprints on the absentee ballots, which I'm glad they're doing because, as I said, it's too easy to, and both sides do it, always say I lost because the other side cheated. So, you know, they want to get the documents, but I can't imagine it can be done in time or decisively enough to change the outcome of that election. I think Ganem will be back in. I could be wrong. What do I know? I'm just a news guy. But it does raise the larger question. People like me who advocate for election reform, trying to increase how many people can vote, we want, often our side will say, no excuses balloting. We want everyone to vote electronically. We want everyone to be able to just go on the internet or send in a mail-in ballot. And the we always think it's, we criticize the conservatives, which we say they're repressing the vote by not liking that when they say fraud, but they do have a point. Like sometimes there's, an ill motive, which is they want to stop you from voting, but there's a good motive too, which is that we do have a history like we see in Bridgeport. We've had it in New Haven where we see that kind of fraud, and we got to think about that. I've talked to Denise Merrill, who used to be Secretary of State. She's a big advocate. She said, look, they're doing it in Oregon, and it's been studied, and it's such a small margin of even accusations of any hanky-panky. It never decides an election, although in municipal elections, it doesn't take many, very few. Even nationally, if you look percentage-wise, when you had 82 million uh I mean, you had 157 million people voting in the last presidential election, and you looked, it was just tens of thousands of votes in swing states that always make the difference. So it is a little hanky-panky can affect an election outcome. They say in Oregon it's working. I don't want to be against the so quote-unquote evidence, but every time 
we get reminders in places like Bridgeport or South, I think it was South Carolina where the Republicans are doing it. I think it's a legitimate question. And I think you don't have to think about what camp you're in or what tribe, liberal, conservative. We obviously don't have a system to stay a step ahead. We're five steps behind the people who do do it. And I do believe it's so important to make sure everybody can vote. I don't know if measuring the success is the number of people actually come. I would argue that we measure the success by how many barriers are removed, how easy it is to, to legitimately vote, but also to stop fraud because fraud does happen. And we have to have confidence in our electoral system. I'm gonna, we're doing a theme on, uh, on, um, today on uh, Kristen Ford. She has a duo I really like called the, the Blue Magic um, with an MC out of Hartford, I mean, out of, out of Houston. And they have their take on America. Um, and it's called America Pulse. And here it is from Kristen Ford and the Blue Jeans. Human race. 
Kristen Ford and the Blue Janes with America. And you're listening to Dateline New Haven, WNHHFM. New Haven's Grits King in the background. We have New Haven, New Haven adjacent artist music combined with the local headlines in New Haven and our surrounding communities from the New Haven Independent. Here's another headline that it was really a good article in NH New Haven Independent, and it wasn't big news, and that was the problem. Let me explain. The news that the federal gave it money gave us some money to try to address the digital divide. Meaning, who gets to have access to fast internet so that they can have the same opportunities, educational, business, research, everybody else has. For New Haven, since the mid-aughts, I think it's early as 2014, 15, was considering doing what communities and North Carolina, Tennessee have done, which is to have a municipal broadband company, a municipal company to get fiber optic fast internet service. Sort of the way that uh, you can have municipally owned utilities, right? That's like utility like in Wallingford. It's a very conservative city, but forever it's had this municipally owned electric company that gets you better service, doesn't go down the storms and charges less because it's not a greedy private company getting monopoly or oligopoly by its captive government regulators. So plan stopped and started. We had state help under the Harp administration. It got torpedoed at the Board of Alders. I'm told, I can't prove it, that you know we had pro-labor alders and the Frontier Company was trying to keep its uh, cable and phone monopolies, uh, was using its political offense to stop us from doing what was good for our community by getting that plan passed so they could protect their profits. They wouldn't, the uh, business floundered anyway. And then the Illinois administration picked it up and then they gave up. They said, instead of spending all that money, we got some company now that's putting in fiber optic cable, or fiber optic internet access around town. Of course, they're going through the wealthier neighborhoods first, middle class neighborhoods, and uh, let the market do it. And they're getting all this FCC money, quarter million dollars, just to get the word out and give a subsidy for some low income folks, mostly get the word out. Hey, you can sign up for internet, these other companies. Now, I do see both sides of this question. Because the private market has upped its game with fiber optic. You know, because in a lot of states, the there was a conspiracy, and this is one of the conspiracies that was true because it was out in the open, that lobbyists from the cable companies and the uh, 
legacy telecoms united to use their influence with legislators to ban communities doing like what they did in chattanooga tennessee and in rural north carolina and they were so successful when they started their own fiber companies because they didn't want the competition, but it's bad for the public. And they used government power in the name of the public to screw the public. But now that they're doing more of the fi fiber and just broadband access in their communities, they, people in government say, you know, there's a limited amount of money. It's hugely expensive to build these operations if you think you're going to get the money back better. So why not in that case? Just point people there. I could see that. I would say it's a failure vision for thinking big but i definitely see the argument you can't do so many projects at once you got your priorities government doesn't always do it better but they also never keep watch on private companies they give them permission to corner a market at the expense of the everyday consumer but anyway i have zero confidence that they're going to get the word out because we stink at getting the word out it's hard okay it's hard to get the word out but i remember a couple during the pandemic we had all these summer programs big you know pamphlet put out great great uh motives on the part of government they had so many programs they put a booklet earnest great people they had a press conference of course look at us through those programs and then we had a reporter at a management team meeting in the hill which you know community management team of the people most involved government easiest to reach they had no idea of a single thing their kid could do that summer they were not reached by that basic communication plan again it's hard it's hard to get the word out these days not one single way where everybody will see it but we stink at it, okay? And uh, I'm not confident that they'll get some contract for some person with a quarter million dollars that's gonna get all some people in debt. And further, let's say they do sign up with these greedy companies that try to corner the market and have their friends and government help them do it. I'm not convinced that once they suck you in, they get that subsidy, are they just gonna raise the price overall with the subsidy, $30, million, $30 a month is supposedly gonna help a low income person get it. He's gonna add $30 to packets so everybody else will pay more. And again, that subsidy and do, do squat. Or are they actually going to give? A lot of times you get introductory offers. And it, uh, okay, it gets people in, but then they raise it down the road. Not buying it, folks, sorry. But I am buying the Midnight Strangers. They're a, a teen band out of New Haven, rock band. They have a new album. This is not their new album. This is from their, this is Like Magic from the uh, album, the previous album. The Midnight Strangers, Westville's own playing like magic.
From Westville's old Midnight Strangers. I hear they're headed for college. So I don't know if the band's going to keep together. They did do another uh, CD recently, which I hope we'll be getting to uh, play or listen to Headlines and Baselines on Dateline New Haven, WNHHFM, your home for community radio. Grits Kings in the background, as always, and we're running down the headlines. Well, I got to admit, I'm going to pretend I'm excited about this. I'm not even remotely excited about this. But the Taylor Swift movie is out Friday. You can go to your movie theater and pay 19-something bucks to watch the concert. You didn't get to pay 9,450 bucks to go to. And everyone's excited. So in New Haven, of course, people bought tickets in advance to go to our own Bowtie Cinema to see it on October 13th, which is Friday. One problem. Bowtie Cinema's... Announced they're closing October 12th. Hope they got their money back. And that's so that big uh, cultural moment, which I do respect. It. it means so much to a lot of people, even if it doesn't for me. I was hoping to get to stop making sense, and they quite make it because they were playing that at Bowtie. It's gone, and that kind of moment is gone now in New Haven. The moment of going to see a movie in person on a big screen, which you experience differently out in public, where you kind of see folks before and after. And, you know, I don't want to be one of those old fogies that say everything's terrible because things change because there are all sorts of great things we do that we used to do that are fun and great ways to create art and movies and stories and dreaming and all that. But it's still an important moment that passes. Yeah, there's a porno TV inside, inside that like five people slink into the side of town and I don't think it's going to be there much longer. The real kind of momish movie theater left is gone. Despite Taylor Swift, you're going to have to go to the suburbs to see that. And while my heart doesn't go out about the Taylor Swift thing, because other people will be able to see it if they want to go into debt to be part of the Swift mob, and the year has passed in New Haven. Again, I don't think I have to mourn it. Change is good, or sometimes it's just change. But the going to the picture show, that is definitely a, uh, a different phenomenon. So I'm going to, in that honor, I'm going to play John Prine's song from his album, The Missing Year, called picture show remembering another era that is now playing. a young man from a small town with a very large imagination lay alone in his room with his radio on looking for another station but when the static from the mouthpiece gave away to the sound below James Dean went out to 
put his picture in a picture show. James Dean went out to Hollywood and put his picture in a picture show. And it's, oh, Daddy, get off of your knees. Mama, why'd you have to go? Your darling Jim is out on a limb. Put my picture in a picture show. Oh, oh, my picture in a picture show. Hamburgers, cheeseburgers, Wilbur and Orville Wright. John Garfield in the afternoon. Montgomery Cliff tonight. Oh, and the static that hit the mouthpiece. It gave away to the sound below. James Dean went out to Hollywood. He put his picture in a picture show. And it's old daddy. Get off of your knees. Mama, why'd you have to go? Your darling Jim is out on limb. Put my picture in a picture show. Whoa, whoa. My picture in a picture show. Show James Dean went off to Hollywood, put his picture in a picture show. That was John Prime. That's David Sasso in the background. Shalom Alechem from the album Heat. Previewed here before it came out a few months ago on Dateline New Haven with Friday Night uh, Traditional Songs We Thought in Bluegrass format. Thanks for joining me on Dateline Headlines and Baselines. One last headline I wanted to get to. Maybe I'll switch it to one of his other, uh, one of his songs there from the album. Uh, f- about a, two weeks ago, we inaugurated a new stop on the Freedom Trail. Connecticut is a Freedom Trail about its civil rights history going through New Haven. There are already a bunch of stops here in New Haven, including um, the Sinkway Amistad Captive Slave Ship Rebellion statue at City Hall. The new one's at the Armory. It's a little bit of an odd choice because the Army was picked because of its connection to the 1970 Black Panthers trial in New Haven and the big demonstration about over whether a black revolutionary can get a fair trial in New Haven. It stemmed from the torture murder of a black 
Panther suspected informant on Orchard Street. Turned out he wasn't an informant. The people who did the crime, the murder, went to prison, but then the FBI under its COINTELPRO program was trying to get rid, in conjunction with local red squads and police departments, get rid of the leaders of the National Party. So without evidence, they put the leaders of trial, Bobby Seale of the party, and Erica Huggins on trial, looking for the death penalty, conspiracy, people to send it on New Haven, threatened to blow it up. They closed, shut down, yeah, shut down all the stores, had a big rally in the green. National Guard was told they wouldn't get in trouble if they shot anyone dead, which they did do three days later at Kent State. But here in New Haven, we managed to keep the peace. By day, the Black Panthers, black students at Yale, community people, the police, Yale officials were all denouncing each other, thwarting each other, illegal wiretapping was going on, speeches. But then at night, they were secretly planning how to thwart the next administration, wanting a bloodbath in New Haven to make a point to try to strengthen its emerging base among people who hated people of color or activists or hippies and uh so we emerged from that a stronger city i'd say even though it was painful and i think we could do that again today so the first stop is the armory remembering that that's where the national guards people gathered and got their grenades and other weapons and went out in tanks into the streets in new haven yeah that was a wild time they're gonna have a mini trail within a trail eventually they said where they're gonna actually go to the Housing development used to be cop housing on Orchard Street where that murder took place in torture. Go down to the green of the courthouse where the trial took place and the demonstrations. Then the Project Moore. That's the uh, prison reentry program in New Haven. It was turned into a national model by one of the people who pulled the trigger that day. Warren Kimbrough was from New Haven. It was wrong what he did. He did his time, got let out as a model prisoner. And then the same system that imprisoned him, the Connecticut Department of Correction, gave him millions of dollars to turn Project Moore into a place where people coming out of prison could turn around their lives the way Warren did and be uh, be productive citizens. So, you know, there's so much pain in our world every day, so much conflict, so many tough issues we generally have to work out about how do we inhabit the third rock of the sun together and live to see another day and see the best in each other rather than the worst. You know, we start out the show talking about the horrible events in the Middle East and our hope that we can have peace and freedom and live together. And in the meantime, try not to fight among each other about the horrible events that are happening and pray for everybody at all sides of the conflict to have a better life and to have peace. Thanks for listening today. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day, all night. And all weekend long on WNHH FM, New Haven's home for community radio. Mm-hmm.